You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The biggest thing is coming off the bye week is try to get the rust off as, as soon as possible. Came at a pretty good time after the uh, seven games, 11 days. I think that's probably the most a lot of the guys in here have played in, in that span. And now it's kind of a good time to kind of recharge, uh, get ready for the stretch with how tight everything is and how much hockey we have left. The one thing is everyone's energized. You have that jump and, and uh, eagerness to, to be on Fox. I think the biggest thing is just trying to get that rustiness off because you haven't been on the ice in you know, uh, about a week. Seemed like everyone came back today re-energized and happy to see each other, so it's kind of nice to get that camaraderie back and just see the boys and get a little excitement. We have to jump right back in and, and get our lungs back, get our legs back, and uh, you can do whatever you want over break, but there's nothing like skating and, and uh, playing the game the speed that we do, so it's a great that we have you know Thursday, Friday here to get ready for, for Vancouver and you know the rest of the year. Matthew Barzell of the New York Islanders. Time to beat a 13 Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the State Chat Edition. I'm Isles Box Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Our guest tonight covers the Islanders for The Athletic, where he also co-hosts the No Sleep Till Belmont podcast with ex-Islander Mark Parrish. That's Arthur Staple, and he joins us now. Arthur, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Well, uh, better than my voice sounds, believe it or not. Um, and plus, I got some fan voicemail questions 
uh, for you later on to uh, carry the burden. So we should be in good shape. Um, so uh, how's it been pulling double duty this season, both writing and covering the team for The Athletic, and then also co-hosting the podcast No Sleep Till Belmont with Mark Barish. How uh, comfortable have you been? And how, how much fun has it been being behind the mic? The podcast is fun, and I, you know, I, I have a lot more uh, admiration for for the for guys like you that um, that's kind of have it be your second job. Um, it's a lot of work and a lot of preparation, and uh, it takes a little getting used to hearing your own voice for half hour or forty five minutes at a time. And um, you know, I'm <clears throat> I'm really thankful that Mark was able to do it and he obviously adds a ton you know to have a, a former islander and a former player um with all of his great stories and and it sounds like uh just even before we got started hearing some of this his stories about those early 2000s islanders teams with um his uh frat house basically that he lived in in garden city with eric karen and steve webb lots of funny Carson stories from his playing days and um yeah it just seems like um, he had kind of a wealth of, of good Islander stories and he's done a lot of media and, uh, it's made, it's made it all a lot easier. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a good balance of, uh, of covering the, the current team and doing the podcast and, you know, maybe starting to work in some more guests and, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes the second half of the season. And of course, one of the benefits that comes with writing for the athletic is the freedom to, uh, write some fun pieces. Um, this week during the break, you've had a number of player polls um both talking about the nhl and just kind of fun locker room type stuff with the islanders um how did those come about how did you get the answers were they done in secrecy did the pr department help um how did that all come together well last year um we uh we started kind of league-wide our athletic player poll um which i think last year was maybe seven questions that were all you know guaranteed anonymity um questions about people in the league um you know best player dirtiest player things like that they've a couple of those made it back into the to the poll this year which was 10 questions and they encouraged us to do team specific questions and some that are you know maybe a little bit more lighthearted. and i think um a few of the the other teams writers came out with their polls and um you know i think just starting back in December or so knowing that the we wanted to have them you know our, our HQ wanted to have them all in by about mid-January so they could run the poll just before the all-star break um, you know last season it was kind of tough to, to carve out time to, to ask all the questions and I uh, you know I think maybe I got to about uh, 10 or 12 guys that I knew would, would give me good answers and this season I was very determined to try to get everybody and especially because I had my own questions picked out um, you know, I had it in mind that during the break, I was going to, you know, they're not the, the same length as my usual stories for the athletic, but I thought it'd be fun to just to kind of get us through the, the week long break. And, um, I think it kind of lightened the mood a little bit of some of the tougher questions in the national poll, thinking about who's the best defensive defenseman or, um, who do you want mm-hmm. in net for game seven of a playoff series? So these ones where we're talking about who's the best chirper and, um, who has the worst taste in music, definitely uh, brought out some some entertainment in the room talking to guys. And it was really just done in the room. I think, um, you know, we don't have the biggest media contingent covering the Islanders. So um, being able to get in there after a practice and, and talk to two or three guys and just kind of set my mind to it and um, got it done in about two or three weeks. And everybody was really great uh, accommodating 
some guys give more thoughtful answers than others, but I think everybody had fun doing it. And I did listen to both the Leo Komarov and Johnny Boychuk playlist, or at least <laughs> half of one song of Leo Komarov's playlist. I think um, I'll have to give Johnny the nod on that one. <laughs> yeah, he was he was concerned that uh, winning meant he was had the worst taste in music, but I, I let him know today that uh, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, a lot of reader votes uh, for Leo being the worst. But it was, you know, I I think uh, I think there's definitely a generation gap there as a as a father of a teenager who uh, kind of looks at me funny when I play songs that used to seem pretty cutting edge and raw to, to my, to my younger self. And when I play them now, he just kind of gives me this funny look. So I can imagine when Johnny's playing his, uh, you know, songs that are, that get you amped up, but are definitely a little bit on the older side, the, the younger crowd in the, in the room, that's more about electronic music and hip hop is probably thinking like, Oh God, here he goes again. So, Probably, uh, I think it's more in the in the Islander fan demographic than the the Islander player demographic. Very true. Uh, let's uh, turn our attention to the ice. Of course, the highlight of All Star Weekend for the Islanders was Matt Barzell winning the fastest skater competition. But maybe even the better sign was how he handled himself. Uh, with the media just a couple of days after being benched in the third period by Barry Trotz. That could have gone a couple of different ways, but he seemed to really understand why it happened and really got it, and it's now a non-issue as they head back to playing on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, the only thing that kind of took me off guard was was Barry Trotz was a, was a little bit short with uh, with us after that Ranger game. Uh, for his reasons for doing it. And he's usually not like that at all. Even when it's a tough decision, he's very willing to explain it. And, and I assume also willing to talk with the players involved. Um, and I'm sure that that was the case, uh, whether it happened that night or, uh, you know, on the bus ride back or over the course of uh, the long break, um, his communication skills are second to none really as coach. So I don't think there was any concern there. Um, and yeah, it was encouraging to hear Matthew Barzell say that uh, you know it was on him he did something that clearly was had been pointed out uh not just to him but to the whole team uh to not do and that towards the end of that second period against the rangers and um you know even as the rangers started to close the gap to have him sit on the bench probably was even more frustrating and i'm sure a bit of an example too to have your best player sitting out uh and a guy who's headed to the all-star game uh you know it's definitely a unique situation in that last game before the all-star break but uh, but I think you know, hearing from Barry Trotz today and their first their first day back at work, um, you know, he doesn't seem to feel like there's a lot that needs changing other than his team's mindset. He still feels like the guys they have um, can be the same guys uh, that they were during the 17 game point streak and for a lot of last season. That you know, their attention to detail is very strong and they can overcome their general lack of high end talent by being a very cohesive group of five on the ice. And uh, he just hasn't seen it very much this season, especially in the last, you know, six weeks or so. Uh, And so I think that kind of came to a head there with that game that they really needed the two points in. Um, So I'm, I'm curious to see how they come out of the break in the first couple of games, but, uh, but I don't think there's going to be any lingering after effects uh, of Barzell feeling a little, a little, you know, disrespected or anything by that benching. Now, uh, something that's, maybe unavoidable given um, his contract status and, you know, maybe for Islander fans thinking back to how things transpired a couple of seasons ago with John Tavares, but, you know, it is frustrating that already you have to read uh, speculative articles about 
him potentially wanting to play in Seattle, the new franchise, uh, that being an attractive option uh, for Matt Barzell. And uh, to kind of see those articles when a guy is an RFA and in the midst of a season where the Islanders are in good position for the playoffs. Um, having said that, he will be an RFA. Um, there's going to be a contract negotiation. It probably won't be an easy one. Um, so, you know, from your standpoint right now, um, where do you see those going? Do you think Barzell looks for a bridge deal, or do you think Islanders and him come together uh, for a more, a more longer-term uh, contract, five or six years? You know, I don't know how long-term it will be. You know, I think the longest term you'd get is probably five years because I think he's much like uh, some of the big-name RFAs from last summer, Mitch Marner, uh, Austin Matthews didn't quite get to the summer, but Marner, Miko Rotnan, uh, Braden Point, uh, these guys who took kind of varying length deals, and Marner was really the one that kind of held out close to the very end, Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine in Winnipeg. Um, you know, it was an interesting summer and i'm sure barzell was watching with a very keen eye he's got good representation uh you know jp barry from from caa um a guy who's been around for a long long time so i don't i don't think it's going to be easy uh unless lou amarillo says sure we'll give you 10 million per for five years or four years or um you know let's jump right into it and that certainly doesn't seem like lou's style um so you know it could be tough and it could go deep into the summer but uh but i think talk of him not wanting to be there is is as pure speculation as speculation gets you know it doesn't even really make any sense to talk about seattle um because it just doesn't you know the the years don't even line up they're not putting a team on the ice next season so that they can make some sort of deal with the islanders to to get them on the ice you know they're starting in 21 22 barzal is gonna you know is an rfa right now even if he signs a one-year deal i still can't see it happening when he's got arbitration rights um so that kind of stuff, I, I certainly get the, uh, the hairs on the backs of Islander fans next crawling back up because of what happened a couple of summers ago. But it's, you know, it's, it's a UFA versus an RFA, uh, and it's a guy whose situation we don't really know about. You know, I, I don't think uh, even this at this time uh, in that 2017-18 season, I don't think even John Tavares knew where he was going to end up, despite where he did end up. So... Um, to start, you know, trying to read Matthew Barzell's mind about where he wants to be, uh, whether he wants to be Seattle, which, again, as an aside, he's not from Seattle. He's from Vancouver, and I hear they have a pretty good up-and-coming team that's coming to Barclays Center this weekend. So if he wanted to go anywhere, I would imagine he want to go play with uh, Elias Pettersson. Um, but, again, that's, you know, who even knows what that what the real story is. With him, I think he's committed to being an Islander. He likes the fact that they're a winning competitive team, even though his numbers personally have been down last year and this year compared to his, his Calder Trophy winning season. Um, but again, you know, the most important thing is he's a restricted free agent. And of all of those restricted free agents from last summer who offer sheets were being talked about, one was thrown out there by Montreal and Sebastian Ajo that was quickly swatted away. None of those guys ended up with new teams. So, uh, you know, I understand, like I said, the, the, the anxiety and the paranoia, but, uh, but we have to sort of wait how it, see how it goes in the offseason. Um, and I think the only news we'd get before we get to the summer would be good news because that would mean there's a deal in place. PTIL's Arthur Staple of The Athletic is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Staple Athletic. 
Now the Islanders back on the ice in Brooklyn on Saturday afternoon, welcoming in the Vancouver Canucks. Already the third game that the Canucks will have played Islanders. Uh, their first game um, since playing seven games in 11 days. Uh, the team met with the media earlier uh, today on Thursday. Um, you know, was there a sense that they were a little concerned about you know just getting their legs um, underneath them and getting back to playing hockey and getting on the ice after after a break? I don't think there was too much concern because that break was uh, was very much needed you know the Islanders haven't aren't on the higher end of games played among the teams in the league but they really packed a lot of games into January uh, and really that last stretch but I think it was you know six and nine and and uh, um, three of them being against the Rangers and you know the one game against Washington that was uh, you know kind of a, a, a really bad disheartening loss they were uh they were drained and tired, and I think Trotz kind of attributed a lot of their their getting away from their attention to detail to that fatigue factor. And you know, a lot of guys went south to some warm climate, didn't think about hockey for a few days. Um, so I imagine that uh, that they're feeling pretty refreshed, and it's not necessarily a situation where um, <clears throat> the the they'll be feeling rusty once they get back into it. They'll be feeling you know a, a little bit more rejuvenated and it's going to be a, a real grind these last 33 games once they get going on Saturday I think uh, Sunday and Monday are two or you know maybe they only have two other consecutive days off uh, from now until the end of the season so uh, it's going to be a really crowded schedule again and they're not going to get a lot of practice time in so I think uh, a lot of the guys and certainly the coaching staff are relishing um, you know being back on the ice today getting back out there tomorrow for another brisk workout and then, uh, and then diving back into it. Uh, and I think especially with, uh, with their goalie situation, having two goalies, they're going to need to be at their best. Uh, they're both going to play a lot of, a lot of minutes, I think in these last 33 games. So, um, you know, I think that <clears throat> maybe is an area where you think, where you see some, some teams coming out of the break and their goalies have been sitting around for a while a bit rusty and I don't think that's going to be the case with their guys and uh, it's going to be a tough one because Vancouver is playing so well but uh, but I don't think there's going to be a ton of uh, you know creakiness in their game because there was a little bit of creakiness in their game heading into this break. Now, Kyle Clutterbuck, some news on him. It does not appear that he is close to getting back on the ice. Um, just because you're able to go on a trip to Turks and Caicos during the break doesn't mean you're ready to play hockey. Um, can you just talk about the kind of impact his loss has had on this team and the domino effect not only on that fourth line, but the other things that he does, you know, whether or not he's putting up points and scoring the occasional goal? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a big loss because of, just the things that he's able to do. It's not about goals and assists for him. You know, he does, he does chip in at odd times, but, but really, you know, it's kind of a twofold effect. One is that, you know, the, the line with Matt Martin and Casey Sikas isn't as good when one of them is missing. And particularly uh, if it's Clutterbuck, um, you know, I think he and Sikas have such a good uh, connection, whether it's at even strength on the four check or, or at the penalty kill that, uh, it, it diminishes Sezikis's game a little bit, which is a difficult thing because he's probably outside of Barzal, their most important player uh, in terms of what they try to do, uh, you know, especially in that bottom six that's been kind of weak all season. So when you don't have Clutterbuck, you know, they've been, I think, been getting a pretty good run from Leo Komarov, which, uh, you know, it, he's not the same caliber of player that Clutterbuck is, but he's been filling that role pretty well. 
So I don't think you're too concerned about that fourth line. But uh, but really, the third line has been the one that's kind of been the spare part line, whether it's been, been with Derek Broussard or Josh Bailey in the middle, and then some combination of Ross Johnson, Tom Kunakal, uh, Michael Dalcall. Uh, just not being a strong enough line to kind of maintain their, their four-line system that they like to have. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, if you'd taken a, a very effective Leo Komarov off that line to plug in for Clutterbuck, it would have felt worse. But uh, but I don't think Komarov works too effectively with that group either. And I think, you know, if we're going to get into the trade season with about three weeks to go until the deadline, that's probably the area that, uh, that Lou's looking to, to – uh, solidify the most is that someone somewhere on that third line whether it's a top six winger that can bump somebody down to a more proper third line role on one of those wings or a number three center to allow Derek Broussard to play up a little bit and and make that third line uh, a bit more formidable with somebody like Bailey on it so um, you know Clutterbuck's loss is difficult because he's a regular you know he's he's a guy of uh, you know, who, who Trotz puts a lot of faith in and uh, and plays the system about as well as anybody. Um, but I think the bigger issue for them is is just not having enough depth to to be able to plug plug in good enough players to to have an impact and be able to be that four line team that Trotz wants them to be. We'll have more of our interview with the Athletics Arthur Staple in a moment. You're listening to PT Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. Joe Bono, P.T. Isles with you, chatting with Arthur Staple of The Athletic. Arthur, I uh, went on social media and solicited some questions from Islander fans. Uh, they left some voicemails for you, so let's get to those questions now. Hello. I was wondering the status of the Connors Hickey injury, and again, if he would be an option to bring up to replace as a, a replacement for Adam Pellock. So Arthur Thomas Hickey has not played in Bridgeport since late November with a lower body injury. Is there anything you can tell us whatsoever about whether or not he has a chance to return uh, to the ice and contribute to the Islanders later this season? Well, I think he's been around uh, the Islanders practice facility doing some rehab work. I don't think he's been back on the ice much, but um, but I think he's, you know, my understanding is he's getting closer and it has been a really rough season for him. I think, I think that was his third injury uh, in just a short amount of time being in Bridgeport. Uh, and really, you know, I don't think he could replace Adam Pellock. I think they have the six defensemen that they want to have in the lineup, even though it's not an ideal mix. But uh, but having Thomas Hickey as a number seven would really be a, a, more of a comfort. It's a guy who's, you know, well over 400 NHL games, has been a very reliable depth defenseman for a long time with the Islanders. So if he can get back to health and, and show that he's, uh, you know, can kind of keep up with the NHL game, uh, because he hasn't been up there all year long, um, that would probably be the, the simplest route for the Islanders to take, rather than trying to go out and spend another asset to get a, a veteran defenseman to plug in. Because it seems pretty clear that uh, 
they don't really have a lot of faith in Sebastian Ajo, uh, who they've called up a ton, but has really been, you know, skating as an extra, kind of as insurance. Uh, and really, if there's any other injuries to the top six, then uh, then they're really scrambling. So um, I don't think you're going to see Hickey anytime real soon, but maybe once we get around that trade deadline, uh, if he's gotten into a couple of games in Bridgeport, I would imagine he'll be a very viable option to bring up and at least be the you know the number seven guy with the Islanders. He may not play a ton, but but it's it's a much better security blanket as far as they're concerned. Here's our next question. Hi, guys. This is Rick. I live in uh, Oceanside. I'm a half-season ticket holder, and here's my question. Uh, most trade proposals that you see fans throw out on Twitter or elsewhere are different versions of, we'll trade Leo Komarov in a fourth-round pick, and we're going to get Connor McDavid. And my question is, what do you guys think is reasonably gettable by Lou, and what do you think is a fair price that he would be willing to pay to get it? Uh, thanks, and I'll listen to what you have to say. So what do you think? Not about the... Uh trade to get Connor McDavid, but you know, what could the Islanders be willing to give up to make a move? Well, yes, I, I do love a good trade proposal. Um, sometimes you open yourself up to being dunked on because it's a little ridiculous, but that's part of the fun, right? So, um, you know, I, 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 it's hard to know, really. Uh, I'll say that right off the bat. Nobody knows what Lou's going to do. I think even the, the best in the business at this, uh, you know, the, the guys like Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebron and Bob McKenzie and Elliot Friedman, who have so many contacts everywhere get you know get the the wall slammed shut on them when it comes to finding out what Lou Lamorello is going to do. So we're all sort of in the flying blind a little bit, and you you go based off of what you see. And as I said, what I see is a team that needs uh, you know a guy some to to plug into the top nine, whether it's a wing or a center. Um, maybe they need another defenseman, but that's probably a secondary priority for them. Um, so, you know, you, I think you look around at the teams that are already, you know, sitting at the bottom of both conferences. Um, you know, we've mentioned Tyler Toffoli a lot in uh, on our podcast and in stories from out in L.A., who's a guy who's on an expiring contract. Um, maybe he commands a second rounder. Maybe there's another po- prospect that gets thrown in. Um, he seems like a guy that if you're going to spend, you know, at the higher end of the assets, uh, he's probably a guy you'd go after. Um as far as cheaper rentals go, I think in Ottawa they've got a couple guys in Vlad Nemestikov and Tyler Ennis who uh, might have some value to the Islanders. Um, uh, not necessarily as, as major contributors, but as guys that are just seasoned pros who have been around and know how to play uh, and can probably work, you know, work hard in a Barry Trotz system. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of other names. I, I, I did it my kind of annual trade board last week and came up with 21 names there so there are also some guys with a little term left on their deals um cal palmieri in in new jersey who uh, may or may not be available and i think that's with uh, some of these teams that are already out of it whether it's jersey or buffalo still has kind of made a lot of noise about whether they're going to be buyers or sellers although they seem pretty far out of it montreal's in the same situation with a guy like thomas tatar who's got a year left on his deal after this one if you're looking in the realm of guys with a little bit of term left, um, then you start thinking about the assets might be a little bit, uh, you might have to spend a little bit more because you're getting a guy for an extra year. Um, and I'm not so sure that, that Lou Lamarillo views this team as, as one that's worth giving up, you know, maybe a first round pick, even if it's going to be a late one. Uh, they're not in a, in, really, they're not in a secure enough playoff spot right now to, to, to consider giving up that first unless it's 
a deal where you're bringing back someone who's you've got cost control, uh, who's a younger guy and you have him for several years. Um, but, you know, I, I think if you're going to be looking at the rental market for a forward, like I said, to Foley, maybe he's a second rounder, maybe it's a third rounder that could turn into a second rounder plus a prospect. Uh, and then you're talking the Ennis's and then the Mesnikovs of the world. Maybe it's more a third or fourth rounder. So those, those seem like assets that are worth giving up because the team is still a good team and, and is not in the most secure playoff position, but is in a playoff spot. And I think uh, learned last year that once you get in, anything can happen. Um, so, you know, I, I'd be curious to see uh, what goes on in these next three weeks. Um, I don't know that there's going to be any blockbuster trades or even any minor ones, but, uh, but if they are going to make a, uh, you know, a small move, I would imagine it would be for, uh, you know, a, a veteran forward who's, you know, not necessarily a guy that's been around for a long, long time, but someone that can, they can plug in and doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, a super scorer, but someone who fits what they do and fits their system because the system for the Islanders is the most important thing. A couple more questions from the fans. This one, I think you touched on already a little bit. Greetings, Arthur and Joe. This is Brandon Gaines from Oceanside, New York. This question goes to Mr. Arthur Staple over here. So, trade deadline's coming up. So, what percent chance do you give the Islanders of acquiring a top six forward versus acquiring a third line center? And on that note, uh, once again, love, uh, love both of your material. Um, take care. Over and out. Go Islanders. So, uh, which of those two are more likely to happen in your view? I would say more the depth center or, you know, something below a top six forward. Um, when you look at the guys that are that are rumored to be available, um, you know, Chris Kreider would be a great addition, but that would be a cold day in hell when the Islanders and Rangers make that kind of deal. Um, I don't know that the Islanders would want to give up a first-round pick that could potentially turn into a, you know, a lottery pick, even if they protect it to the Rangers, uh, and then, you know, God forbid they fall out of the playoffs. And I don't think uh, on the opposite direction that the Rangers are going to want to help their crosstown rivals uh, with a guy who's, um, you know, probably the biggest impact uh, forward who could be available before the trade deadline. So um, he'd be a great addition, though. And, you know, and I think Toffoli is a guy who could fit into their top six. Um, Tatar is probably another one that could fit into their top six, but um, – you know, I don't think there's going to be anything that's sort of like a major upgrade. You know, Tyler Hall, uh, Taylor Hall obviously was traded already uh, from Jersey to Arizona, um, and I don't think the Islanders really had the had the assets to make the deal that, that got made, which was I think three prospects and a couple of draft picks. So I think uh, I think just based on Lou's kind of conservative stance so far, um, and really the the kind of lack of a real impact player out there, I think. I think uh, the chances are better that it's someone who's more of a depth veteran pickup than someone who's going to really shake up that top six. And here's our last fan question. Hi, Joe. Hi, Arthur. Vaughn from Brooklyn calling in. Do you believe from conversations either off or on the record with the Islanders' upper management that they're happy with where things are? Or do you believe from these conversations there's a level of concern and roster decisions need to be made sooner rather than later? Love what you guys do again. Thank you so much. 
So we've talked so much about the trade market, but the deadline is still several weeks away, February 24th. Um, what about them looking at this roster construction as it is right now and looking at some internal options to shake things up? Obviously, fans have been uh, clamoring for Kiefer Bellows with the numbers he's put up in Bridgeport. You still talk about Oliver Wallstrom. Um, so do you feel like they maybe feel a little bit of a need or a push to eventually shake up this lineup and try to do, do so from within? Yeah, I don't. I don't, I'm not so sure. You know, I think the, the the issue with both of those young guys is that uh, are they ready to take a top six role on the Islanders? Probably not. You know, Wallstrom didn't really get that opportunity when he had his, his nine game audition, uh, and he hasn't exactly set the world on fire since then. He had a he had an okay World Juniors. Uh, he's been okay, I think, since he's come back. You know, Bridgeport's really been struggling to score goals all season long. Um, and Bellows cooled off a bit. He did have a great run, but I think given that he was, uh, you know, not so effective really all of his first uh, pro season last year, I think they want to see a little bit more from him uh, just as far as consistency goes. You know, I think the guy that's probably, uh, you know, again, the more you always try to go for the, the simplest option, which in the salary cap era is usually the one that most teams take. You look at a guy like Andrew Ladd who – has been scoring pretty consistently in Bridgeport, has the pedigree as an NHL player. He has the onerous contract and he has the injury history and uh, has the ire of a lot of people in the fan base. But I think when he was healthy last year, as briefly, as brief as it was, he was a Barry Trotz kind of player. If he can prove that he can kind of play the physical style and, and not have any hesitations or limitations, um, that's the sort of, recall I could see them making you know I think Otto Koivula had a couple of good games uh, in his two call-ups uh, and he's being a, a guy who's playing center now maybe uh, fits a little bit better but um, you know I think with their younger guys I think they'd rather have them stay in Bridgeport and play major minutes and play key roles and kill penalties and go on the power play and do all the things that they're not going to get to do if they come up it's it's an age-old story, and you know, I think when Garth Snow was the GM and the teams were not even as good, um, you know, it was always a it was a when they did manage to get a, a decent-looking prospect in Bridgeport, whether it was a Ryan Pollock or someone like that, that the the fan base was clamoring for them to come up. I think patience was was hard to come by, but was probably the right the right course of action. And I think Lou is very similar in that he he'd always has he's said many times he'd always prefer to bring someone up too late than too soon and uh i think people should try to remember that when they when they start checking the the, the box scores in the ahl and seeing what these guys the younger guys have been doing so um i think if there's a there's a real candidate to come up and and kind of help solidify the the wings uh or help solidify that third line it's probably a guy like andrew ladd who's been on the third line before and has been in important NHL games before rather than someone like a Bellows or like a Wallstrom who would be really playing out of position from what they've been doing in Bridgeport in recent weeks. Arthur, last question from me. I think when you listen to the team speak this afternoon, it was evident that they are very much aware of how close things are in the Eastern Conference and uh, that right now you have a couple of really good quality teams that are on the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, if they have a bad couple of weeks, that could, you know, that could be the Islanders. 
Um, you know, you look, take a look at their schedule. They don't have that many games left against the Metro, arguably uh, the toughest division in hockey. Only one more against the Caps and the Penguins. Now they have games against the Western Conference, but they haven't played well uh, against the West uh, so far this season. You know, it's kind of weird how they got here. You had the 15-0-2 stretch, the 17-game point streak. And, you know, although, you know, if you look at where they are points-wise, it projects to where they were and where they ended up last year. How they got here, I think, has people concerned that, you know, maybe this team has regressed in the way that so many outside of Long Island felt like they would. Um, with all that said, do you feel like they have enough? Do you think they find a way to get there and solidify a, play- a playoff position? You know, I think they're going to make it, and I don't know if that's that's probably not going out on a limb. They they're in a good spot, even if they continue to kind of you know bob along and maybe a couple of games over five hundred thirty five points uh, or thirty six points over these last thirty three games gets them right around a hundred. So it'd be hard to imagine a hundred point team missing the playoffs. I think it's you know it, the average is out that way, but as you pointed out, they don't you know they have one left against Washington, they have one left against Pittsburgh two at home against Carolina, one left against Columbus. Um, they're kind of, you know, and even if you look over to the Atlantic division, they've only got one left with Tampa and one left with Boston, um, one left with Toronto. So they've, they've played the majority of their conference schedule against their the team that they're pushing to, to compete against for a playoff spot. And there are a few teams in their division that have, a, that have four or five more games within the division left. And I don't think they'll all be three-point games. So someone will probably come back down to earth at some point. Um, so I think that does give them a leg up because I think they've, you know, they've been, you know, competing at a very high level or trying to now for for a season plus and and those two rounds of the playoffs. So I think certainly the core of the team knows that uh, nothing can be taken for granted, and and I don't think we'll see them take a lot of nights off, um, you know, they might get beat, but, uh, but I don't think it'll be for lack of effort. So I, I do see them as a playoff team. I think they've worked hard enough to get to this spot, you know, and I think that 15, and two run had a lot of luck in it and uh, maybe a little less luck as they've fallen back to earth. So they're probably a team that's right in the middle of, you know, 17 game unbeaten strength or 500. I, I don't think that either extreme is really who they are. So, um, I could see them getting in. I could see them finishing in third in the division. You know, maybe if Carolina gets super hot, uh, they could fall down to that first wild card and end up playing, uh, you know, in the crossover against either Boston or Tampa um, or playing Washington. And, you know, those are scary propositions, but I think playing Pittsburgh the way that Pittsburgh has had their, their season go, where I think everybody, myself included, wrote them off. Uh, with their injuries and and uh, some of their kind of suspect play at the beginning of the year, and they've just continued to power through every every roadblock that they've hit, and it's an impressive job that they've done. So, um, if it was ended up being a rematch with them, I think the Penguins would be very primed for that one, and that might be the scariest proposition of all as far as the playoffs go. Uh, a team that is playing as well as they are, overcoming what they've overcome, and wants to kick the Islanders' asses because of the sweep from last year. So, um, you know, I, you can't really jockey for position that well. Uh, it's not like it was in 2016 when the Islanders tanked the last weekend so they could play a weaker team in Florida uh, than have to face the Penguins. But uh, so this year it'll be it'll be difficult, but I think they'll get there. And I think whether it's the first wild card or they finish third. 
it's going to be a very, very difficult road. The, the East is clearly the much tougher conference this year, and uh, and I think the elite teams like the Caps, the Bruins, the Lightning. I still feel like the Lightning are going to grab that first place in the in the Atlantic, uh, and the Penguins. It's pick your poison with those four teams. So I don't I don't imagine uh, other than the fan base, people in, inside the organization will be trying to figure out who they match up best against. It'll be it'll be a really tough first round, and if they go out. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the first round, but uh, but stranger things have certainly happened in recent years. Arthur Staple, Islanders beat reporter for The Athletic and the co-host of the No Sleep Till Belmont podcast. Uh, we thank you so much for being so generous with your time and have a great second half of the season. Thanks, Joe. Drink some tea. Get that voice back in order. <laughs> Trust me, I'm trying. Thanks again. 